Hello, vampires and slayers. This is Mixtress Ray, and you're listening to What's This Bitch Talking About? In which the answer to that question is, as usual, Buffy. So today we're going to talk about Out of Mind, Out of Sight, which is the 11th episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. If this is your first time tuning in to my supplemental Buffy podcasts on What's This Bitch Talking About podcast, I am doing a project where I watch every episode of Buffy exactly 20 years after it aired. Um, So Out of Mind, Out of Sight aired originally on May 19th of 1997, and I'm not recording this until several days later, unfortunately, but I did watch it on the day of, um, and I've watched it a couple other times too. So we're going to talk about that today. Um, since this, uh, I normally have two episodes of this podcast every week, one that is Buffy related and one that is not. However, um, right now, as I told you guys last week, I am just doing one episode per week because there's a lot going on in my life right now. So, um, because of that, I'm going to do a little what's up with Mixtress segment that I would normally have on a regular episode, um, not the Buffy episode, but, um, yeah, roll with the bunches, I guess. Um, so, uh, I wanted to let you guys know that I did survive Worlds of Fun. Um, (laughs) it wasn't too bad. I, I'm not a being jostled around kind of person. Um, So I basically just, I went and I walked around and I sat on benches while other people did crazy rides. I went on a couple of the tamer, like water related rides. Um, and it was fine. Um, we, we went to Kansas city, of course, cause that's where world's fun is. And after world's of fun, we spent like three hours there. Um, Michael won me a cute little purple raccoon. Um, so that was cool. Um, then we went to um, an arcade that was also a bar, and that part was pretty fun. It was kind of loud, and I was overstimulated by that point, but to be honest, every single day for like the last week and a half, two weeks, I have not gotten enough sleep. I have, every day has been like filled with activities of one kind or another. Um, there was a big wedding this week that Michael was in as one of our really good friends. So that's why we went to Worlds of Fun. That was a bachelorette party. And, um, there was, uh, you know, other things that go with weddings. So there was a bunch of wedding stuff this last week. There was, um, my aunt is in town. There's some drama going on with my little sister that, um, came out of, that sort of came up suddenly, but it was something that we were all one of those things like, you know, it's going to happen at some point kind of things, um, that didn't turn out. I I think it's a step in in a good direction, but it's just been very emotionally taxing and, um, it didn't turn out exactly the way we all had hoped. Um, but again, I think it's a step in the right direction. And sometimes these things take often these things take a lot longer than they should. Um, sorry, I'm being very vague, but if I am anything less than completely vague, then I will tell you guys the whole story and it will take up like two hours of your time and we won't even have talked about Puffy yet. So nobody wants that. So there was that, there was some family drama, there was the, the wedding stuff and my aunt's in town. And like I told you guys many times before, the drama that I knew I was going to be dealing with right now 
is um, moving libraries. So um, my hometown library, we're moving um, across town right now to a brand new facility. And um, it is, wow. It's spectacularly unorganized. And I don't want to place too much blame with that situation because there's only one of us, I think, one or two of us that work at the library that have ever experienced moving a library. And um, by that, I, I don't mean, you know, the literal, like picking up the books, moving them from one location to another, just the whole process of like figuring out how to run a library. Um, sorry, I forgot to put this thing on airplane mode. Anyway, that whole thing's a mess. Um, and compound all of that on top of we've had some storms the last week, and it happens to be the anniversary of the stupid tornado that I lived through. So um, I don't like to memorialize things that were terrible. I don't like to remember anniversaries of things that were terrible, but the world does not let me forget. And I mean, it's not like I would ever forget what day that was but I really I mean I understand I guess it's a way that p certain people cope but I really hate that they have things like memorial walk where they like have people walk the path of the tornado every fucking year on the anniversary it's just I find it I just find it really really trashy I don't know, like trashy isn't really the right word, but like, it's just inconsiderate, I feel like, because those of us that are still very upset by it, um, I, it's like, and I say this every year during, um, the 4th of July too, like, I always think about, um, veterans and like how upsetting it must be to every year the world is quote unquote celebrating our independence and celebrating people that have fought in wars but they're doing it by making a lot of noise that probably sounds and reminds you of being in wars that you've been in if you're a veteran you know like it's got to be so traumatic and i know that not every you know, not every person that survived the tornado doesn't like the memorial stuff and not every veteran is upset by the sounds of fireworks. But those of us that are, that do have like PTSD reactions and flashbacks and things like that, it can be so upsetting. So, you know, on top of all the other shit that was going on this week, there was, while we were in the new library, there was a tornado warning and we had to go into the it wasn't, it was in part of our county, but it wasn't technically in the part of our county that we were in, but a bunch of us still were like freaked out. And we went to the, um, the meeting room, which is the space. And it was just kind of eerie that there was a tornado warning going on, like, you know, two days before the stupid anniversary while we were, um, I could literally see the hole where my house used to be from there. So I was like a block from where I was when it happened. So that was an emotional experience. Plus I started my period this week and it's just like, 
you know how these things sometimes uh, events that are stressful all converge into one and that's what this week was so um, as sort of a segue this particular week of events involve has involved a lot of socialization for me and like I've said to you guys many times before I'm an introvert I'm autistic um, as a segue into this episode of Buffy, this episode of Buffy Out of Mind, Out of Sight is um, about a girl who felt invisible. She felt ignored by all of her peers and she felt it so hard that her reality became she was an invisible girl. She became an actual literal invisible girl because she felt that she was invisible, that no one could see her. And I've sort of had the opportunity to be in a lot of social, different kinds of social spaces in the last week. And I have had to confront my own feelings of invisible, invisibility. Like I tend to be very quiet in social settings, but I like being in the presence of other people. Like I'm an introvert, but I like to I like to sit in small groups of people that are talking and like occasionally interject and I like and it is very important to me to be seen which is something we're going to talk a lot about during this um, episode of Buffy. I like to be seen. I mean it's one of our like big needs as human beings. You know we need food, we need shelter, we need sleep and we need to be seen. We need to be heard um, and it's a very important right that we have. We need to be acknowledged by others. So this episode is all about um, not being seen, about being invalidated, about the outcast. And it really made me, because I was also, I was watching this episode during the week and thinking about it and researching it. And also I was in the midst of different social situations. I had to confront my own feelings of feeling like an outcast. And I do. I have a lot of weird psychology wrapped up around it. And it's something that like growing up, like in my high school years and stuff like that, for some reason I was able to cope with that feeling in a much better, more adaptive way than I do now. Like back in the day, I knew I was an outcast. I knew I was a weirdo, but I completely embraced it and I was fine with it. And I still talked to people and I still just was my weird self and people still hung out with me and it worked out just fine. Like being an outcast wasn't a problem for me back then. But now as an adult, I tend to get really anxious like when I was at the wedding yesterday because Michael was in the wedding party and I was not um, there were a lot of situations where like he was busy doing you know important stuff for the wedding and I was just kind of sitting by myself in a pretty dress and <laughs> um, I think if it hadn't been such an overstimulating week in general I would have been able to figure out how to find someone to socialize with because the last time there was a wedding where Michael was in a wedding party and I was not, <laughs> which is the whole other thing that I have to fight, the outcast situation that I have to fight myself. Like, 
how come he gets to be in wedding parties and no one wants to me to be in wedding parties obviously i'm not memorable blah, 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 blah. anyway so um <laughs> the last time he was in a wedding party and i was not i found someone who was she was new in our group because she was dating someone that had been um that was in the wedding party and she didn't really know anyone yet so um we just sort of sat together and talked and whatever this is a group of friends by the way that michael has been friends with since we started dating which was 11 fucking years ago i still feel like they're his friends after 11 years and i have not bonded with them that much yet still so anyway um I, I need to stop getting hung up in the details of things but basically I I feel like an outcast a lot of the time in social situations I've been feeling that at work too where it's like everybody from my department will sort of go out and go to lunch together and it's usually circumstances where like I just haven't been there when everybody made the decision and it's not like I wouldn't have been invited but um i seem to put i think i put off a vibe to people that i don't need social interaction that everyone um and people don't worry about me because i don't put off any kind of vibes of like needing people to worry about me it's not because i'm unliked but i do sometimes feel invisible so and it's it's all my own fault because i'm not making myself be heard so anyway, um, what I'm saying is that this episode, I, I relate to it. Um, and I think that it is, um, very, it very clearly gets its point across about feelings of invalidation and not being seen and heard by others. And, um, yeah, so let's just get into it because this week has just been crazy. I watched this episode on Thursday. I tried to watch it. I watched it again on Friday because that was the official day that I needed to watch it in order for me to complete my project of watching every episode of Buffy 20 years after it aired. However, I was so worn out after an eight hour day at work and after doing my radio show, the only time I had to watch it was 11 o'clock at night and I was like, I fell asleep halfway through. So <laughs> technically I only watched half of this episode on the actual day that it aired 20 years ago. But I'm um, trying to forgive myself for that because, you know, I did the best I could on that one and it just couldn't be helped. Michael tried to wake me up, but he couldn't. <laughs> so it's all right. Um, but anyway, um, the way that I'm going to do this is I have not really taken any notes for this yet. The first time I watched it, um, I watched it with my aunt and my mom. So you'll get to hear that later for the minute. And... Um, then when I watched it on Friday, I didn't take any notes whatsoever because I was just like laying down halfway falling asleep. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to watch it again right now. And um, I'm going to just sort of do a live watching of it with you because I have thought a lot about this episode during the week and I've done research on it and I've listened to podcasts on it. And so I do have a lot of thoughts. I just haven't written them down yet. So I'm going to watch the episode and just pause it like every 10 or 15 minutes or so and give you the thoughts that I have about it. So instead of taking notes, I'm just going to make my notes upon you. How about that? So let's get started. I'm going to start watching it right now and I will come back with comments as we go. 
Okay, so the first scene is in class, and um, they're discussing Shakespeare, Merchant of Venice, um, which is about an outcast who is angry at society because he is a Jew, I guess, and he's outcast. And um, they're Cordelia has a ton of like insights that are very self-involved like she is. This episode is mostly about Cordelia by the way um, because she is the, the antithesis of this Marcy character who is invisible. Um, if I didn't say, yeah I did, I said before what this episode is about. So Marcy is the girl that becomes invisible because she's the outcast and um, no one notices her so she literally becomes invisible. So Cord Cordelia is obviously like the opposite of that and she is the target of Marcy's anger. Now that she's become invisible she starts terrorizing people that are close to Cordelia. But anyway, Cordelia has lots of really great insights even though they are self-involved um, of the the, what they're talking about, Merchants of Venice. Um, she has things to say about it and she's obviously read so Cordelia is an interesting mean girl popular character because she's always portrayed as being very smart. She's academic. She has obviously read the reading and she engages in class. She's not doing that thing that, I mean, back in my day in high school, if you were a popular person, it wasn't cool to be engaged academically. And maybe that was more of a thing for where I grew up. Maybe that's not a thing everywhere. Maybe academia goes hand in hand with popularity more and this isn't that odd, but to me it seems odd because they portray her as being very smart. And she even goes up to the um, teacher after class and she um, she talks to her. She says she wants to ha meet with her to talk about her final paper because um, she she's like, I have all these thoughts and I'm pretty sure they contradict each other. I'm real unfocused. I need your help. And so she makes a meeting with her teachers to talk about, to like talk out her paper because she's having trouble with it, which is such a mature thing to do. Like that's not something that anyone I knew ever did in high school. Like we would put off writing papers until the very last minute and then we would just fucking wing it and it would be too late to ask for help from the teacher and we never would ask for help from the teacher. So I just find that, I just find that a very mature thing that like Cordelia happens to be smart and engaged and has her own ideas about things, even though they're, she pretty much constantly thinks about herself, but um, she still is trying to make good grades and like, I don't know, I find her interesting, which is good because this episode is mostly about her. So, um, yeah, that's all that's happened so far is just that first scene um, where Cordelia is answering a bunch of questions and they're talking about the Merchant of Venice. Um, Owen Buffy runs into Cordelia in the hallway and a bunch of weapons fall out of her purse and she like tries to explain it to Cordelia and so it sets it up that like Cordelia is above Buffy just in case you forgot she's the popular one and Buffy is not. Buffy feels like an outcast and when she looks at Cordelia, she's looking at a past life for her, a life that she can no longer have now that she's a slayer. Um, so that's an important thing to remember. Um, and then the scene after that, Mitch, who apparently is dating Cordelia, although this is the first time we've ever seen him, um, gets beat up in the locker room with a bat. And the bat is 
I mean, at this point, we don't know what's going on, but Marcy, the invisible girl, is beating him with a bat. First scene back from the um, credits and probably a commercial break in real life. <laughs> um, Xander and Willow start kind of reminiscing, like they're laughing and it's obviously an inside joke situation talking about Cordelia. Um, and Buffy feels like an outcast. So like it's been displayed twice already in the first 10 minutes of this, the show that she feels like an outcast um, in relation to Cordelia. She feels like an outcast in relation even to her friends because she's new to them. Um, so I think that's an important part. Um, right now I'm watching her investigate the locker room where Mitch just got beat up. He was taken away on a stretcher, but he's alive. I don't know if it's an intentional thing, but it's kind of interesting that in this particular episode, spoiler alert, no one dies. So, um, in a lot of Buffy episodes, even these beginning episodes, there's a lot of death at the school and I find it a little alarming that that would be happening. Um, but in this episode, no one dies. So yay for that. And Snyder actually foreshadows that the principal, um, he says, um, somebody's like, there's a rumor that Mitch died from this bat situation. Um, <laughs> sorry, I need to pause this because I'm getting distracted by the episode while I'm talking to you guys. <laughs> um, and Snyder's like dead. No, he's not dead. There's no dead students. Not this week anyway. <laughs> and he says that in the like first five minutes of the show. So he's actually telling us, Hey, guess what? No one's going to die this episode. Calm down. It's all right. <laughs> um, Xander just made a joke. That's why I was laughing and I was distracted. They were, um, they're sitting around in the cafeteria, Giles, Willow, Buffy, and Xander talking about, um, what's going on. Like how the hell did this guy get beat up by a bat all by itself? And Xander's like, maybe it's a vampire bat. And it was a cute, weird little dad joke. And I liked it. Okay. This is when we finally get, um, We've seen Harmony before, but we haven't actually learned her name until this episode. So Harmony is one of um, Cordelia's friends, and she is in the show till till the very end. She ends up on Angel even, so she's um, a fun character, and I like Harmony a lot. Anyway, she just got pushed down the stairs by Mar Marcy, so um, it's definitely like, oh, some intrigue. Like, how did she just... And Buffy saw it. Buffy saw her just like fall down the stairs like she was being pushed because she was just standing there. She wasn't even like, you know, she didn't trip or anything. So Buffy's investigating. Yeah, that's all that's happened. I just wanted to mention Harmony because Harmony's so much like she's not, they're not really developing her character yet. I don't think they knew yet that she was going to um, be a recurring character other than just one of Cordelia's random friends. But um, she's, she's a lot of fun anyway. Um, Buffy is investigating now. She is about to discover, yep, she's about to discover Marcy's lair, which um, basically ever since she became invisible, she's been hiding out in the school above the um, band room. So she's like hanging out in the ceiling, which is one of those stupid drop ceilings that like there's no way you could hang out up there. 
But whatever, this episode has a ton of really stupid details like that, little plot holes and stuff. Um, oh, I guess Buffy hadn't discovered the lair yet. I guess that happens later. Oops, sorry. Anyway, um, also you see FBI agents just sort of hanging around in the background in several different scenes um, of the episode, even from the very beginning. Hey, it's Angel. Angel. So finally we get to see Angel in this episode. Thank God, because it's like, how are they going to set up the storylines? <laughs> I just, the last episode of the season is next week. So it's a good thing that we're seeing Angel in this episode, even though we only see him, well, we see him in two different scenes in this episode. So the first one we see, um, Giles is in the library by himself at night and he's doing research because at this point they've realized that there's an invisible girl, girl at the school. So he's looking into ways that they can, um, make her decloak her essentially is I think how Giles put it. So Giles is researching at the library. And by the way, I've said it before. I'll say it again. I love this library so much. The Sunnydale library is like possibly the coolest fictional place to me. Like if I could go anywhere, I would go to the Sunnydale high school library because it's just, it's dark. It's interesting looking. Um, it doesn't look like any school library really, but, um, there's wood everywhere. It's got like this little, most of the books back in the stacks are up on this little level, like where they usually sit and do research and stuff is at the big table. That's at the bottom of this like little curved staircase, little, little half level where they just go up a few steps and then go back behind that area. Like you can stand on a little railing and overlook the table where they usually do all their research and stuff. And the stacks are back behind that little railing area. And I just love it. It's just architecturally, it's just, I want to hang out there. And there's like little chairs and stuff back in the stacks. There's like a bunch of places to hide back there, which are my favorite kinds of libraries to use as a patron. I want to have somewhere to hide if I'm a patron. <laughs> of course, whenever you're the librarian and you have to like find people to get them out, places to hide is a nightmare. But, um, and in a horror show like this, places to hide is a nightmare. But anyway, it just gives me a cozy feeling looking at the library. So I wanted to mention that because we only get to see the Sunnydale High School Library in the first three seasons. So I'm going to soak up every single moment of it that I can. So anyway, Jaws is doing research in the library and it is established. This is the first time in the Buffy vampire lore that it is established that vampires do not cast reflections. So a lot of the vampire lore in Buffy in general is um, just pretty classic vampire lore, like um, crosses hurt them, holy water hurts them, um, they can be killed by wooden stakes only, like if you stab them in the chest with a stake of anything that's not wood, it's not going to kill them. They have to be beheaded or staked with wood basically is the only way that they can be killed. And this is the first time that it's being established that they cast no reflection because Zan or Giles is like in the library and he's looking, he hears something and he's like looking around and you see his reflection in a bookcase, like a glass covered bookcase. And um, so he thinks he's alone, but he turns around and Giles is right there. So they have a little scene together where um, Angel shows up and um, 
I think he's like, oh my God, there's some portents, something is coming. <laughs> and he talks to Giles about um, Slayer lore. And Giles is like, well, I just, there's not really that much that I have. Like he didn't have access to like a book, something called the Codex that has the most complete Slayer lore in it. Um, and Angel's like, oh, I can get that book for you, man. <laughs> So this is the first scene, I think, I think Angel introduces himself to Giles in this scene. I think this is the first time they've actually, is it? I don't know. Maybe not. Um, either way, they just have a little scene together where um, Angel's like, I can get you this book. And so they're sort of establishing Angel as an ally. This is like the first time that, this is the first time we're seeing Angel since the episode Angel, since we found out that he was a vampire. So Giles is pretty pretty open at this point um the fact that they have he hasn't been seen since they found out that he was a vampire like they know his situation that he is an ensouled vampire that he doesn't kill anymore um but i do find it progressive and interesting that giles very readily is just like oh okay angel's here and he's gonna help me out cool so this is the first time you're seeing really this is the first episode you're seeing both angel and cordelia sort of inching their way into the group like angel is helping giles out right now he's going to get him this book that has something to do with slayer lore and um so that's like the first time that he's collaborating with everyone because mostly in the past angel has just kind of shown up and talked to buffy and said oh my god something evil's coming and then just disappeared like he hasn't really helped them out much um and you'll you'll find out later more about his backstory like he's trying to stay away from Buffy he's trying so hard to stay away from Buffy but it turns out he just has to be around her not only because he's in love with her but because he needs to help her because he wants to help her uh, he can't just stand back and watch um, so yeah and Cordelia um, later in this episode she is going to come and she's going to ask for help from Buffy because she realizes that whatever's going on with this invisible girl which she doesn't know that's what it is yet she just knows it's a lot of weird occurrences she n figures out that you know it has to do with her because um, her boyfriend gets attacked her friend best friend Harmony gets attacked and then um, this hasn't happened yet as I'm watching it this time but um her teacher that she's meeting with to talk about her paper gets attacked as well so she like realizes that this is all about her and for once she's right so she comes to Buffy and she um asks for her help so she ends up collaborating with Buffy in this episode which I find also interesting because you know she's in the past always made fun of Buffy and acted like acted like she doesn't pay attention to anyone but herself but she comes to Buffy and she's like, you always seem to be there when weird stuff happens. You have all those weapons. I know that you're really strong. Like she doesn't know that Buffy's a slayer, but she has paid enough attention to her to know that she is a resource and she is someone that can help her. So she comes to them in the library and this is the first time Cordelia's ever stepped foot in this library. And <laughs> she asks for help and um, from Buffy she knows that Buffy's the person to ask so this is and later on Cordelia will be a regular part of the group and she will she'll be sort of the outcast of the group because everyone will always make fun of Cordelia because of how self-centered she is but um 
this is the first time she actually like infiltrates into the group and asks for help and so it's kind of cool that like both Angel and Cordelia are sort of being established as being future members of this group in this episode in particular. Pretty deep and meaningful conversation that Giles and Angel just had actually. Um, so it sort of establishes that Angel is an outcast as well. He will always feel like an outcast because he's a vampire with a soul. So he doesn't fit in with the vampires, but he can't ever fit in with the humans either. Um, so, I mean, none of that is literally said in that conversation, but um, it's just a really well-written conversation. I'm so sure Joss wrote that conversation <laughs> um, because it, yeah, it was just, that was a really good little scene if I were to pick if I were going to like start picking my favorite scene of any particular episode, that would probably be it. Um, the interaction between Giles and Angel. Um, so there's this whole May Queen bullshit going on, which I don't think I've mentioned yet. Um, Cordelia has run for May Queen and she has won. So yay. <laughs> And she says something really funny. Um, being this popular is not only my right, but it's my responsibility. Um, okay, so J Willow is presenting to Buffy the missing and dead person list so that they can narrow down who this invisible girl is. Um, they're showing the FBI agents in the background again. Um, Willow's wondering if Cordelia has hired bodyguards because they're just, you know, men in black types hanging out in the background. Um, so they've, okay, they're identifying Marcy at this moment, 20 minutes into the episode. So they already know that it's Marcy Ross. Um, okay. This is the scene where, um, Buffy finds where Marcy has been living above the ceiling of the band room. Or she's just got like, um, She's got her yearbook. She's got a little teddy bear. She's got her flute because she was in band. Um, and just like a little, they call it her nest because she's obviously been sleeping there. She's got like a little bed situation set up. Which I've, a lot of things in this episode I find odd. Like if you became invisible and you felt like an outcast at school, why would you hang around at school and decide to make yourself a way to live there. I mean, I guess it would be kind of hard to go home if you're invisible. I mean, I guess maybe that makes sense, but anyway, at least Buffy is crawling across like actual boards and stuff. She's not stepping on the actual drop ceiling. So maybe we're supposed to believe that Marcy has sort of built herself a little area on the drop ceiling that is stable. I don't know. And her bed is like one of those, um, one of those like foil looking blankets that you would get out of like an emergency kit or something. So I guess that sort of makes sense. She's got like a little crate. So, and a plate. I mean, they've made it really look like she actually has lived here. So it sort of makes sense. Here's where we find out. Um, this, I think, was a really well done plot device. So Buffy finds Marcy's um, yearbook in her little nest area. 
And inside the yearbook, she opens it up and all of the messages from the other students in the yearbook just say, have a nice summer. All of them, have a nice summer, have a nice summer, have a nice summer. I remember the first time I watched this episode, I immediately understood, oh, no one knew this girl. Just from that little context right there. Um, no one really knew who this girl was. So every person she handed the yearbook to, the only thing they could think to write was, have a nice summer. That's the kiss of death. Like, that's what you wrote when you had nothing else to say to a person. Um, I thought that was a good plot device because it's so simple and it tells you exactly what you need to know. Um, and it turns out that both, um, this was like her yearbook from the year before or something like that, that both Xander and Willow also wrote that in her yearbook and they're both like I I don't I don't know who she is I've never heard of her um and then Buffy shows them the yearbook like look you wrote this in here too and neither of them remember her and they had several classes with her so it's just you know they're establishing the the context here for the fact that um Marcy was just not noticed by anyone that's got to be so terrible it's got to be so terrible. Like, even though I was sort of an outcast in high school, like I, I was a seen outcast, you know, um, I was a total weirdo and I wore it, it on my face and in my clothes. Um, and I did that as a shortcut so that people that were weird like me could easily find me. But, um, I was definitely seen like people talked about me <laughs> like even though I didn't really talk that much and I didn't really hang out with that many people and I was not popular people fucking talked about me you know people called me a slut and all kinds of stuff and I never took that personally I I was just glad that somebody noticed me weirdly <laughs> okay so Giles has just said they're starting to put it together like okay so she felt like she was invisible and then she literally became invisible and um, Giles is like, oh my God, of course, this is quantum mechanics. This is physics. Um, and then he says, um, it's a rudimentary concept in physics that, you know, um, reality is shaped by our perception of it, which is just a really nice, simple way to explain it. Um, and I, I remember being in school and um, finding out about this concept and I just thought it was the most fascinating thing and I still do. So this is a good time for me to, um, read you I underlined a quote in one of my Buffy books Buffy and philosophy about this so let me look it up page 105 in your Buffy and philosophy textbooks <laughs> about how we make our own reality um, and this is um, Immanuel Kant or Kant or I don't know how you say it but K-A-N-T Following Kant's revolutionary thought experiment, instead of supposing that the world as we see it is fixed and independent of our consciousness, we should recognize that we create the world of our experience out of our basic beliefs. So um, I've just always thought that was the, the most interesting concept that we think of everything as just existing and we perceive it, but our actions of perceiving it make it exist as well um, and not just not just in like the literal interpretation of that but the way that we see our world the way that we choose to see it the way we choose to define it 
is how it is. You know, like little pieces of paper that we've decided are worth certain values in society, that's money. And that completely rules our society. The fact that we have decided that little pieces of paper mean something. You know, that's not the reality. That's not an inarguable truth that little green pieces of paper have value. We decided that it has value, so it does. Let's see, um, I also wrote down another page in here. Let's see if that has anything to do with what we're talking about. Oh, um, yeah, and this was something that was, is not mentioned in the episode, but also sort of makes sense in the context of the episode. It's another um, part of my Buffy and Philosophy book, um, which makes sense that there would be several references to this episode in a book about philosophy, because this is a very philosophical episode of Buffy. So I wrote down, um, there's this other concept called the looking glass self. So the looking, this is the quote from the book, the looking glass self refers to the idea that a person's sense of self is derived from their idea of how they are perceived or in Marcy's case, not perceived by others. In Cooley's theory, um, Charles Horton Cooley, Cooley's theory, the self only develops through contact with others and self and society go together as phases of a common whole. So that's another thing that like um, relates to me personally, even like thinking about when I feel like an outcast, it's always in context of a certain social situation that I'm in. I don't like sit around at home feeling like an outcast, you know? <laughs> you only feel like you're outside of a group when you're around a group in order to feel that way. Which, duh, but you know, that whole looking glass self where you have to see yourself reflected in others in order to know who, who you are. I think that's, that definitely is a concept that has some real val validity to it. And it definitely relates in this episode as well, because she became invisible because she saw everyone else not noticing her. So throughout this episode, you're also, you're seeing flashbacks to give you more context into Marcy's life. Um, like there's a, one scene in particular where she is in class um, she's in Miss Miller's class, who's the teacher that Cordy is meeting with. It's the teacher that she attacks, um, the invisible girl attacks. Um, and Xander's there and everybody's there. Everybody that says that they've never seen her before in their life are in this class with her. And she's like raising her hand every time a question is asked because she wants to talk about whatever it is and you see her hand start to disappear because no one ever calls on her, no one ever looks at her. And she's like sitting in the middle of the class, raising her hand to every question asked and no one is calling on her. And you start to see her hand become invisible. So she becomes invisible. The moment that she becomes invisible, they're showing in this flashback, happens in class when she's surrounded by people. So that's kind of sad. So I haven't mentioned yet during this entire time that um, when Marcy beat Mitch with the baseball bat, she wrote on the lockers, look. When she um, strangled, she, tr she put a bag over Mrs. Miller's head 
she wrote on the chalkboard, listen. So um, the next is, the next lesson is learn. So that's going to be the big thing. <laughs> right now, um, Cordelia is saying to everyone she's in the library with them. She's just asked for their help. Um, look, she's evil, okay? Like way eviler than me. <laughs> so they decided they're going to use Cordelia as bait um, to, to draw Marcy out for the, to, to try to defeat her. Um, they're still thinking they can cure her invisibility, which is what you think. This is how you think this episode's going to end. Like this is how any other episode of Buffy would end. They would find a way to fix Marcy's problem. They would make her, I mean, they're all talking about her now. They all know who she is. They are recognizing her as a human being. So if she became invisible because no one noticed her, why is she not becoming visible again now that everyone's noticing her? So that's one thing that I, I don't really like the way this, this episode ends with, um, oh wait, this is the most important scene. This episode ends with, um, the FBI agents. Okay. Buffy defeats Marcy. Of course she, um, you know, like punches her out or whatever. And then the FBI, FBI agents just sort of intervene and take her away to like some school of invisible people where they're teaching them to like infiltrate and assassinate and <laughs> they're teaching a bunch of invisible people how to assassinate people. Um, and I don't like that ending. That's very unbuffy like they don't like Buffy doesn't just relinquish people to situations to government controlled situations that she doesn't know how it's going to turn out. She cares about people. She has empathy for people and she definitely has empathy for Marcy. Um, so I don't like the fact that instead of them trying to find a way, instead of them like taking her and trying to find a way to make her visible again and help her, they just let her go with these FBI agents. And I, I don't like that because for a show that really prides itself on being moral and good and all of that stuff. I don't think that was the right choice to let Marcy go with. I mean, maybe she'll feel, I guess they're just sort of, we're supposed to accept the fact that now that she's become invisible, she is stuck that way, I guess. Um, anyway, so right now I'm watching the most important scene, which is my quote of the episode. So I'm going to rewind it just a little bit so I can read you the quote. I think I went too far. <laughs> of course I went too far. Um, okay. So Buffy has, they've all decided to help Cordelia, of course. And, um, the May queen coronation or whatever is going to be the bronze tonight. So that's why they're thinking this is the perfect time to use Cordelia as bait. So Buffy's going to stay with her to, um, make sure that she can protect her whenever Marcy comes for her. And Marcy's watching this whole conversation go down, of course, because she's invisible. She could be anywhere at any time. No one's like trying not to talk about certain things because she could hear them. Okay, so then it's just Buffy and Cordelia alone. And this is where the best conversation, the moment where you realize um, that Cordelia is, has some depth to her, like... I mean, this whole episode is about like realizing that Cordelia has depth and she has value and she's going to be an important part of this group eventually. Um, 
but, um, which is a great metaphor. Like she is the mean girl instead of this entire show going through, you know, just like letting her stay the static mean girl character, they're going to let her have development and they're going to be eventually befriend the mean girl and realize that she is a person too. So I think that's also a really cool thing. But anyway, so Cordelia is realizing what's going on right now. She's talking to Buffy. She's like, oh, so are you saying that Marcy became invisible because she's so unpopular? And Buffy's like, yeah, pretty much. That's a bummer. It's awful to feel that lonely, says Cordelia. And then Buffy says, so you've read something about the feeling? And this is where it goes. You think that I'm never lonely because I'm so cute and popular? I can be surrounded by people and be completely alone. It's not like any of them really know me. I don't even know if they like me half the time. People just want to be in the popular zone. Sometimes when I talk, everyone's so busy agreeing with me that they don't hear a word I say. And Buffy's like, well, if you feel so alone, then why do you work so hard at being popular? Well, it beats being alone all by yourself. So that's the big, deep moment with Cordelia right there. And that is the quote of the episode. I should have just played you the actual scene because I just read it for you as I was watching it word for word. Um, but that's it right there. That's the quote. And as it, um, I think they said it in the Buffering the Vampire Slayer podcast um, that I listened to yesterday that they think Cordelia has really hit on something here where um, she's sort of acknowledging that everyone is alone. Everyone's always alone. She knows this, but she seeks to gain popularity so that she can, because she prefers to be alone, surrounded by people. So she's not expecting anyone to understand her, which is another way in which Cordelia is really more advanced than all of us. Like, she is a mean girl, she's an asshole to other people, she's popular, she seems really super vapid, but she's already come to the understanding, even as a sophomore in high school, that no one's ever really going to understand you, and she's accepted that, and she's using, you know, she's using society in a way that fits her, but she also understands exactly what it is and that no one's really paying attention to anyone but themselves. She's just being more open about the fact that she only thinks about herself when everyone else does too. I love Cordelia. This is where you really get to see little kernels of why people love Cordelia. <laughs> okay, so Marcy is playing a tape of flute music that um, Willow and Giles and Xander can hear, and they are all being lured into her trap very easily. They're thinking, hey, the three of us can take her on, because they heard flute music playing before. That's how they realized that Marcy plays the flute. Um, so she is separating them right now. So this is where Marcy is being very smart. She is um, luring the three of them, and she is like murderous at this point. Um, so she's luring the three of them into like the boiler room and she shuts them in there whenever they go in there and she turns the gas on. So they're about to die. Luckily, Angel's going to save them. 
because he's always lurking around. Actually, he was, um, in this case, he was coming to bring Giles that book that they talked about before, and um, that's when he smelled gas and came to investigate. So he's fully interacting now. Like, he's no longer just showing up, like I said before, and like saying, oh my god, something's coming, and then disappearing. So he is, yeah. So right now, as I'm speaking, they're getting shut into the boiler room. And at this point, also, Marcy is, um, here's another huge plot hole. Okay, so they're at the school right now. Um, Buffy is talking to Cordelia through the door while Cordelia's changing in, like, a broom closet or something. <laughs> like, why they put her in a broom closet to change, I have no idea. Anyway, so they're talking, and that's when Cordelia gets taken by Marcy. She gets taken to the bronze, which is where the, um coronation, the May Queen coronation, is going to happen. I have no idea how close the school is to the bronze, but in the next scene, both Buffy and Cordelia are going to wake up from being knocked out because Narcy, like, knocks them out with some, like, syringe of drugs of some kind. <laughs> yeah, and Marcy just pulled Cordelia up through the ceiling. So how is this just like a regular girl who is invisible transport both Buffy, both an unconscious Buffy and unconscious Cordelia to the bronze? How does she do this? Does she have a car? <laughs> I mean, I guess maybe, but like, how would she transport them? She's, you know, she's not someone with superpowers. She's just a regular invisible girl. So even though I think this episode is pretty um, interesting and intelle intellectually and philosophically, it has a lot to say, but still, just like all the plot points in these damn shows are just like so rudimentary. I mean, I guess that's kind of the point. They're supposed to be sort of like B-movie horror type shows, but it's really bad. Like, I this is the most unbelievable thing ever. Like, she cannot transport these two unconscious, fully grown girls by herself to the bronze. Like, seriously? Maybe if, like, they had woken up in, like, I don't know, the auditorium? Like, why is the coronation not in the auditorium? They could have easily just had it in the, in the auditorium. Anyway, so they both wake up at the bronze on stage, um, during the May Queen coronation. So they're both sitting on these little thrones. I'm assuming that the second throne was probably for Mitch, the May King. I don't know. I'm guessing there's a May King if there's a May Queen. Um, so they both wake up and, um, Cordelia's face is numb. So Marcy has numbed her face. So the last lesson for Marcy the Invisible Girl, the learn lesson of look, listen, and learn is going to be Cordelia's face. So it says learn in like gold glitter behind on the curtain. Um, so they're supposed to be the so Cordelia's supposed to be the lesson. Marcy's going to cut up her face and it's going to be so grotesque for the rest of her life that she will always be seen as this grotesque creature. So that's the final thing um, that Marcy is going to do to Cordelia. So they're both tied to these chairs, Buffy and Cordelia. 
course, Buffy's going to save Cordelia. There's this awesome moment where, um, like, Cordelia's crying and making all this noise, and um, Buffy has just freed herself from being tied to the chair, and um, she tells Cordelia to shut up because it's really hard to find an invisible girl. She keeps getting punches in because Buffy can't see her. So she tells Cordelia to shut up, and she's standing there with, like, the wind blowing, and they do, like, this really great, like, panning around her, and they slow time down, and you see the wind, to see, like, a little breeze flowing through Buffy's hair as she's listening. And she realizes exactly where Marcy is, She's, like, closing her eyes and listening. Of course, Marcy doesn't attack her during this entire 20 seconds, so she's just standing there listening. <laughs> of course not. Um, but um, that aside, it's just a really nice scene where just, like, everything stops. And Buffy hones her senses, her slayer senses, and she realizes exactly where Marcy is. She punches her, and um, she falls into, like, a curtain. So the curtain falls around her so you can sort of see the outline of Marcy's body. And that's when the FBI agents come in and they take her away. And that's the episode, pretty much. <clears throat> I think there's like, yeah, that's pretty much it right there. So um, I'm going to keep watching the last, let's see how much, we have seven minutes left at this point. Um, and right now, Buffy is trying to get untied from the chair. And then um, I'll let you know if there's anything else you need to know. And then um, we will do the minute. And then I will come back with my official ratings and all that shit. Oh, right. So um, when Angel saves them from the boiler room, um, it, it this is when it's established in the Buffy vampire lore also that vampires don't breathe because he's able to go back in after he saves them and um, turn the gas off. And, and he says, well, it's not like I need the oxygen. So, um, vampires don't breathe and they don't have reflections. So we know that now. <laughs> um, one thing that really annoys me about, and this is just a character trait. This is just an acting, a way that David Boreanaz acts, which is not annoying in and of itself. Where like, if there's something, some action happening, he, he like breathes heavily. Like you can hear him, <laughs> you can hear him doing that, which you know, makes sense. Like there's situations of fear and action. You're going to be breathing heavily. However, like as he's saying, it's not like I need the oxygen. He's like, <laughs> it's not like I need the oxygen. <laughs> it's like, oh, come on. And for this role as a vampire in which you're not supposed to need oxygen, don't do that thing that you do, David Boreanaz. Just don't. Okay. Just don't. Okay, um, another important scene is um, one of the very last scenes before you see Marcy in the like classroom full of other invisible people, which just a little nitpick. Okay, if when the curtain falls on Marcy, whenever Buffy punches her and she falls into the curtain, you see an outline of a human body. That means that Marcy could wear clothes and be partially visible by wearing clothes which means that she was naked throughout this entire episode and in the very last scene when they show the classroom of invisible people you don't see anyone so none of them are wearing clothes either they're all just naked in class like in a practical invisible society I think people would probably wear clothes so that you can kind of see where they are like I understand if they're gonna be like infiltration assassinators or whatever they're going to like 
probably be naked for those events so that they can't be seen. But for like regular everyday life, when you're trying to interact with other people, you would be putting on clothes, right? Right? Okay, so this um, important scene at the end, Cordelia com comes up to Willow, Giles, Buffy, and Xander, and she gives them like a really sincere thank you. Like she actually like says, oh my God, thank you to all of you. You saved me. It was really awesome. So Mitch catches her talking to them and she, you know, is like, oh my God, no, I was just being charitable. I was giving them fashion advice, whatever. I'm not hanging out with them. But um, it's, it is a moment where she's very sincere and she thanks them. Um, so she is not all bad. And this is where the this episode was very lacking in good outfits. Like basically all the clothes were terrible in this episode, in my opinion. But the very last outfit that Buffy is wearing is kind of cute. She's wearing black knee boots, completely opaque black tights, a black baby doll t-shirt. It has a car on it, so that's like the only detraction from this outfit. But she's also wearing this short skirt that is like a kind of a corally peach color with like um with like a really graphic like sort of optical illusion type pattern on it that's pretty cool um so that's the outfit of the episode okay so that is the um live commentary on the episode thank you for letting me do that every once in a while um i just i really wish i could have been better at presenting this episode. I am going to really try to rally all of my resources next week because next week we're going to go over Prophecy Girl, which is the last episode of season one, and it's a pretty big deal, and I want to be totally present for that, so I'm sorry that there was a lot of ridiculous ramblings in this episode, but it's just been a very overstimulating week, and when I'm overstimulated, I shut down. So I'm in the middle of shutdown right now. It is taking me like hours just to do this much. So <laughs> I apologize for that. Um, let's see. I told you outfit of the episode. I told you quote of the episode. Um, I will give you the rest of my ratings. Let's just go ahead and segue right now into the mm minute. Um, so you will hear on Thursday when I watch this with my aunt and my mom, you will hear us talk about it for a few minutes and then I will come back with my final ratings. Hello, vampires and slayers. This is Mixtress Ray and it's time for the mm minute. Mm. Today we have a special <laughs> guest. My aunt Mimi is the M here. Hi there, Buffy and slayers. And this is her first episode ever of Buffy. We're also here with my mom. Hi. 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 We just watched episode 11 of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Out of Mind, Out of Sight. So who wants to start? What do you got? So this episode is about a girl who no one noticed her. She was socially invisible and then became literally invisible. Very good first episode of Buffy. It was very eye-opening. Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you like the uh, the Shakespeare tie-in? Very the, good. At the beginning? Yes, with Shylock and if you prick us, do we not bleed? Yes. So obviously they're drawing a parallel between, you know, 
outcasts in society and how they're perceived and all that shit. Mm -hmm. So, what do we want to start with? Anybody have any random notes before we get to like ratings and quotes and stuff? Uh, random notes, random notes. I just, my only random note is, whoa, she is invisible. So, that's all I had. Did you, did you write down the time period in which you noticed that? Well, it was somewhere after Cordelia tried on her prom dress. Yeah. So. Well, uh, you know, Xander, the Xander character, mm -hmm. I finally figured out who he is. Oh, yeah? Where I've seen him. He was on Criminal Minds. He was Penelope's old boyfriend. I don't know what that means. Well, is he a bad guy? No, he's a very good guy, okay. but he was very young as Xander. Yes, this is his first acting job. Mm -hmm. Well, he was very good. I liked him. So, is that your only random note? That was a pretty random note. I do have best outfit uh, notes and other quotes. Okay, what is what is the best outfit? The white towel. <laughs> That the the guy yeah. wore in the locker room. Mitch. Yeah. Was it Mitch? <laughs> sure. Sure. <laughs> well, I had a tie. The white towel or the le the black leather jacket and pants that Buffy wore yeah, when she first she was started. All of a sudden wearing all leather. Stalking, yes. That's or good hunting. Answer. She was hunting. But you do you have the best outfit? Yes, I do. Um, I thought it might be Cordelia's prom dress, but when I got a closer look, I scratched it out. <laughs> um, I liked Buffy's, the last scene with Buffy in the black shirt and the pink melony colored skirt. Yeah. That was pretty cute. It had like a psychedelic pattern on it or something. The skirt did. Yeah. But then I noticed the shirt had the a car, car on yeah. it. Yeah. So I decided I liked Xander's shirt. That said 25 cent peep show? Red 25 cent peep show shirt. You were scrambling at the end to find a good outfit? In the well, very last I was going to go with Cordelia's prom dress. I, I don't know. I think there wasn't uh, very many good outfits in this no, episode. Marcy's curtain, I thought, was yeah. a good outfit. <laughs> you know? I mean, the red curtain. That, was... that shirt that Buffy was wearing, it was Buffy blue, but what was the deal with It was slid up from the bottom. And the top like an inch that it was connected you could not wear that to school she, she could pull that off well yeah but yeah. not at school not with that bra though she needs a different bra well, well. so you guys have best quotes i have a quote what's your quote hey xander says hey do you talking to willow hey hey <laughs> do you want to come over for dinner tonight mom's making her famous call to the chinese place that was a good one i thought that was really good there was a lot of cute moments between Xander and Willow this episode. Just the their memories yeah. and stuff. Cordelia had a bunch of good quotes. Being this popular is not just my right, but my responsibility. Yeah. <laughs> and that uh, Marcy is way eviler than me. Yeah. yeah. Way eviler. Well, it beats being alone all by, my, by yourself. Yep. Cordy's got a pretty good uh, little speech about how you know being popular isn't all it's cracked up to be mm -hmm. people don't listen to her because they're too busy agreeing with her yeah and can you say go xander no doubt no yes that's right did xander say that i like your little drawing of the steak yeah i wish you guys could see it through buffy's it's cute oh that's really good yeah 
All right, so we did best outfit, best quote. Um, I also like to do, and it's okay if you weren't thinking about this, object of affection. And that is, is there anything in this episode that you would like to pluck out of the episode and keep for yourself? Oh, man, I'm going to have to think about that. Do you have anything, Stephanie? Um, I, this is only my first watching, so I have more studying, too. I didn't take notes like you guys. Well, I don't take notes the first time. Well, I liked Cordelia's white teeth. Her white teeth? Yes, her white teeth. She has I mean, very big teeth. She has a very good smile. It's very Even though... Very textbook smile. Textbook she, dentist smile. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's very crest. Very crest. Michael always likes to pick something really absurd. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can't think of anything I want. Um, I did like Angel's velvet jacket. I like in the old seasons when he was sporting the black velvet. It was good. Maybe the white towel. The white towel. <laughs> you want the white towel? Yeah. I'll take the baseball bat. <laughs> okay. Okay, so we've done that. Um, any other thoughts? Yes. I, that we all have the power to foster visibility or invisibility in others. Out of mind, out of sight. Mm -hmm. You just come up with that on your own? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Isn't it one of, I don't know, there's some philosophy about, you know, being heard is one of the essential survival things. Like, not only do you need food and shelter, but you need to feel validation from others. You need to feel like you're being heard. Isn't that something all women want from, like, like their significant other? You know? I think all people want from mm -hmm. it their significant others. Not necessarily for somebody to do something about what they need, but yes. just to hear them. Yes. Yeah. I'm not looking for solutions right now. Right. People have to tell me that. I'm always trying to find a way for the situation to be fixed. Well, because we all want to help, but sometimes helping is just being. Just yes. being there. Yes. Yes. Just, just tell it to me, sister. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Those are my biggest recurring nightmares are when I'm trying to tell somebody something. I'm trying to tell them something important, but they won't listen. They won't hear me, or they don't believe me. Invalidation. What do you think about when you dream and you're trying to scream and it won't come out? Is that also a fear of not being heard? Probably. Yeah, you're trying to scream, but you can't make a noise? Yeah. You won't be heard. Trying to dial a phone number, but you keep getting it wrong and have to hang up and start over. Do that all the time. And then it happened in real life on Friday. Yeah, it happens in real life all, a lot. It's probably why it happens in dreams. <laughs> Damn it. Okay, so are we ready for our 5x5 five five ratings? Yes. Okay, your first rating from 0 to 5 is just how much you enjoyed it. Enjoyed the episode. I, I'd say 4.5. Wow. Really? That's good. So yeah. will you be continuing with Buffy? I mean, uh, yes, yes. I have I, I have a friend who swears by Buffy and thinks it's very philosophical. So Who's that? Uh, and you believe this friend over me no, after what I've been telling you no, for years? He, Your he niece? Confirms, he confirms what you, good, what you say. Good, So. So I, do you think he's right? I do. I think I'll be back. Okay. So 4.5, what do you got, Mom? Enjoyability. Well, it was pretty enjoyable. I laughed at least four times. Yeah. 
and so I I'd have to I'd have to give it a a five. Wow, the most enjoyable episode so far. Yeah. Okay. What do you think? I I have to withhold. I gotta watch it a couple more times. Okay. <laughs> so, how many times have you seen it? Well, I've seen it a bunch of times, but since my project is to watch every episode 20 years after it aired, I have to watch it tomorrow. Okay. So, this is just a segment. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but, it's a pretty good one. Okay, so our next 5x5 five five rating is how well do you think that it um, conveyed the message that it was trying to get across? Solid 5. Solid 5. Solid 5. Solid 5 on what? On the... Um, Conveyance of the message? Yes. Message conveyance. Mm, uh, I'm not sure what the message was. The message was validation. See, that everybody needs validation and do it before they go bad and turn invisible. Yeah. Well, I didn't really get that. Okay. Until just now. Okay. So I'll have to give that a three. Give it a three. So mm -hmm. your overall rating's a 15, and then but yours. But during the thing, you said she's already invisible. I know, I got that, but I didn't get that you have to pay attention to people. I didn't take it to the next level mm. because the dogs really want to go outside. Mm. Why'd you say the word? I said the word. <laughs> I'm hanging onto their collars because they're panting in my face. Because mm. I closed some, the window. They have something to say. So um, I don't know the calculation because I always... Five times four point five. You got a calculator? Mm, yeah. Five yeah. times four is twelve. Five times four is twenty. So twelve plus twenty divided no. by two. No. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? What? Five, five times four point five. Five times four point five equals. So your rating is twenty-two point five. Okay. Very good. All right, so you, high scores for the minute. Minute. Mm. So, this has been your mm. minute. minute. <laughs> I'm back, vampires and slayers. You just heard the minute. So now it's time for my final ratings. Um, I read you guys the quote, my favorite quote. Um, it's, which is kind of a weird, it's sort of a, like a semi-monologue from Cordelia. Um, not really that much of a quote, but um, I read that to you already about how she said, you know, it beats being alone all by yourself, how you can be surrounded by people, and um, no one's really listening. Um, which is a good metaphor for life, right? Uh, I told you the outfit of the episode, which it, it wasn't even that great, but it was the best that we had to deal with in this episode. I hope this isn't a turning point. Because overall, in the series of Buffy, the fashion was pretty terrible. I have really enjoyed it up to this point, up to this episode. I hope this isn't the turning point where the fashion is just bad from here on out. Because that will make me very sad to have to really scramble for outfit of the episode. The um, object of affection for this episode, I think I mentioned it in the minute, but just in case I didn't, um, it is um, Angel's Velvet. He has like a velvet blazer in this um, episode, and I really enjoy that. So that is my object. Let me write it down, actually. Angel's Velvet Blazer. Okay. 
Um, and then the most valuable player of this episode is, of course, Cordelia, because we're finally getting some depth to Cordelia's character, and that is very enjoyable. My 5x5 five five ratings, um, I am going to give it, for sure, as far as, like, the message of invalidation and being an outcast and all of that stuff, I think, was conveyed perfectly in this episode. Um, it's a very, like I said before, it's a very philosophical episode without, like, I mean, it's not, like, forcing this concept down your throat. It's, like, you know very simple. If you feel invisible, you could become invisible. Like this is, this is the perfect example of a metaphoric horror reality coming out of a world of metaphoric horror fantasy coming out of the real world reality of feeling invalidated. Um, so I feel like that's definitely, um, a five. As far as just general enjoyability of the episode, like besides there being like little plot holes here and there of things that I'm like, meh, and the fact that the fashion was kind of terrible, um, for the most part, I really enjoyed this episode. Um, there weren't like a lot of funny jokes and good moments. There were a couple of really cute moments between Xander and Willow, like them just like having inside jokes and stuff and being cute together. Um, and I really liked the moment between Giles and Angel. You didn't get a whole lot of, I feel like you didn't get a whole lot of Buffy in this episode. I feel like Sarah Michelle Gellar didn't really have the chance to display some really good acting in this episode, but, um, but it's still a very good episode. It's very important to the series. They will mention it several more times throughout the series. Um, I'm trying to think. I guess I'll give it a four. Like it was, it was good, but it's not like one of. It's definitely not one of my very favorite episodes, but it's a good episode. So the final five by five rating for me from me is a twenty. So um, I hope you enjoyed the ramblings of out of mind, out of sight, the Buffy episode. Um, I hope you guys have a great week. Next week, we're going to talk about Prophecy Girl. Um, that one is a really, really good, iconic episode. Um, and I can't wait. It's going to be so much fun to watch. So I will see you guys next week. Da -na -na -na.